So uh, we're, we're in this series and we're talking about what it means to live free, but if you've been paying attention at all to sort of any evangelical news in the last couple weeks or few weeks, um, there's been a couple well-known individuals in the evangelical world that came out and made some surprising uh, and, I, and I would say disappointing announcements in regards to faith. Um, as an aside, I find it so peculiar how we are starting to announce things in our world through social media and how we just make life-changing announcements in, in these ways. But uh, Josh Harris, um, you might remember him, former evangelical pastor. He wrote a wildly popular book in the late 90s, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Justin was saying it impacted both of us and so much um, as it was kind of right before the cusp of we entered into a a, a relationship together, and so, and it influenced many in our generation, that book. I know so many friends. Um, and so he announced on, on social media that him and his wife of 20 years were getting a divorce. And then within a few short days, he announced that uh, on another post that along with his marriage ending, so was his Christian faith. And that he's going through this period of what he calls deconstruction, or he said what others would in the Christian world, say, I'm falling away. And he admitted that himself. And so there's that. And then, and then this past week, Marty Sampson, uh, really well-known worship leader, songwriter, um, wrote some, has written some really incredible, well-known songs we sing here. Um, and, and he posted on Instagram that, uh, he said, I'm, I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Um, and so that obviously created a stir and then he, he later clarified, he said, I'm not renouncing my faith, but it's incredibly shaky grounds. And, and I, I read several insightful articles on Josh Harris um, in particular. I, I read some really good takes on that. Um, just people who knew him, who are grieved over the situation. And, and yet one even talked about how the world is going to open him, welcome him, sorry, with open arms. Like, almost in a, in a secular sort of salvation way, like, you've, yes, you've seen the light, you've come home in a, from a secular standpoint. Um, and, and he'll be heralded, and he is being heralded, actually, for his courage to step out in this way. And, and from what I've read over the past few years and just seen, I, I think that Josh Harris and Marty Sampson, I think that they're, because of their sort of fame, if you will, in the Christian world, they, they might be representative of many evangelicals who don't have that sort of public platform, but they're, they're making similar decisions to abandon their faith. And it's, it's really tragic. And, and it presents us with a really uncomfortable truth. Living for Jesus on one level is unpopular and it's difficult. And we actually need to talk about that. And, and the text in First Peter that we're going to spend our time in this morning, it, it invites us into this reality, if you will. Peter doesn't sugarcoat the implications for the people that he's writing to. He doesn't hold back. And, and, and what he's saying is our freedom in Christ this freedom that he's talking about so much in this letter, it calls us into reality. There's a reality in which we're called to live. And so I want to I talk about this morning, and, and my title uh, is Freedom from Sin 
to righteousness and for God's glory. And, and we're going to see from the text this morning that we're going to read how Jesus offers us freedom in our lives to get free from sin, to live to righteousness, and for the pursuit of God's glory. It's all through that. So if you have your Bibles, you can, get, you can open up to 1 Peter 4. We're going to just read the first six verses, and then we'll, I'll, we'll read them in segments this morning. It'll be up on the screen behind me too. But Peter begins in chapter 4. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So, we all, we all have different ways of thinking. I'm, I'm sure you know that. Um, the, the ways that we see and perceive the world are, are very different in some respects. And, and this drives our core motivations. It drives how we respond, how you respond to situations. And so, growing in our understanding of, of ourselves and self-awareness and how we think it can be really life-changing for people as they understand why this and why that. And, and here in verse 1, we see that how we think or what we think about is crucial for our freedom from sin in our lives. As Peter's getting at this, he's getting at how do you have freedom in your life from sin? How do you not walk in this? And verse 1 has really significant influence on how we practically live out the commands of verses 3 and 4 in our lives. How do we live amongst a world focused on the pursuit of selfish desires? How do you do that? How do you live in a society that is so immersed in that way? How do we live in freedom from sin? And the wording suggests that, that there are ways of thinking that protect us. We, Peter says, arm yourselves. We arm ourselves in particular ways. Earlier uh, in 1 Peter 1.13, Peter talks about, he encourages us, he says, prepare your minds for action. He says, be sober-minded to set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you. He says, Prepare yourself. First Peter 2.11, we're, we're told, he goes on, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. He says, those passions of the flesh, they are waging war against your soul. Like he doesn't use nice, cute terms. He's saying it's waging war against you. Then he says, he goes on, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, but First Peter 5.8, he says, you have an adversary. He's the devil. 
He's prowling around. He's seeking someone to devour. And he's saying, watch out. Like there is something happening around that you need to be aware that there is a battle, a war going on. And so our mindset in this, how you arm yourself, is of really significant importance. Our ways of thinking are crucial for us to live in the freedom of Jesus. So in that, I will not engage or indulge in practices that will have negative impact on my soul. So having that sort of mindset, that's a mindset that I take on. I will not do this because it's crucial to my freedom and to being able to guard myself and arm myself against what the enemy wants to do. And some of these practices of are the ones listed in verses three to four. I don't, I don't think that it's exhaustive. I think that Peter is picking out things that were very relevant to the culture. I think they're very relevant to our culture. The culture that these people were living amongst in first century Roman rule, it's not too different from what we face. It's got a little bit of a different shine or sheen on it, but it's, it's similar in many ways. And so we, we are... We're, we, we have the offer, we have the invitation to choose in specific situations all the time. How am I going to live this out for Jesus? How am I going to live out this freedom in Jesus? I will not engage in practices that the world says is normative or the world says, that's just harmless fun. No big deal. Let it go. I don't need the escape of reality that those things seek. And I think that's a big thing. I think a lot of what Peter's getting here, it's an escape from reality that the people were seeking. He's saying, you don't need that. You've got living hope. You don't need to seek anything to to leave reality. My hope is fully set on Jesus. And what the living hope of Jesus declares is that we can experience freedom from sin, from the shame of past sins, and from the practice of sinning in our lives. We live differently, actually. You live differently because of this. So, how do we, how do we arm ourselves to experience the freedom from sin? And Peter says, you align yourself to and with the mindset of Jesus. Peter, he speaks of Jesus suffering in the flesh and being put to death in the flesh. He said he, di- he said he did this so that you would die to sin and you would live to righteousness. So our suffering in the flesh there, it alludes to this dying to sin. We, re- we regard ourselves in the same way as Jesus. We follow in the footsteps of his example, which Peter says in 1 Peter 2. That's... That's the example that we're following. I want to walk in those footsteps. And so there's, there's both the principle and the practice of this in our lives. The principle being, I have ceased from sin by being united with Jesus in his death. That's the principle. That is truth, rock solid truth. I have ceased from sin because of what Jesus has done for me. The practice is I arm myself with certain ways of thinking that are willing to suffer. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to be maligned 
to stand for righteousness. I'm living to righteousness. I'm dying to sin, living to righteousness. I might be a maligned for that, but this is the way of Jesus and following in his footsteps. And so it, shouldn't, we, it should not be unexpected when our, our choices, when they surprise or they irritate, they bewilder others, and they look at us and they go, why are you not doing that? Why are you not, why? Why, why, do you, why is that such a big deal to you that you wouldn't live like that? And they'll, they'll to the extent that people may slander, they may malign you, they may go, and we, we have to expect that that may happen. That, that word there, malign, that Peter uses, it's the word that is the same word that's used in, by Matthew when he says that those passing by, they mocked Jesus on the cross. Jesus was maligned on the cross. And we may be maligned because we seek to follow in his footsteps. There was a, a trip a number of years ago that I, I took when I was um, in business and I went with my general manager at the time and one of the other sales managers. So it was the three of us and we were going, traveling together to this sales uh, conference in Toronto. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those kind of perks of being a manager. You get to go and experience. And there's, there's number one, a lot of drinking and just a lot of extracurricular stuff that goes on at these things apart from the business. And I was learning this. And on the way there, we are, um, they're talking, and, and, and I should, this other sales manager was really good buddies with the general manager, not as much as me because I didn't go out and party with them. And so I was already sort of the, a little bit of the outsider. And um, in the car, they're talking about how there's this famous strip club in Toronto. <laughs> I have no idea. And they said, and, uh, and they're talking about how they're going to this. And, uh, and, and I just, I had this, I mean, it was like, it was in the car where I have to make a decision. Am I going to say something or am I just going to sit idly by? And so finally I, 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 worked, I worked up the nerve and I said, you know, by the way, guys, like I said, I'm, I'm not going with you. Like, just so we're clear, that's not something that I'm going to do. And they just kind of looked at me and, okay. And so I said, I don't know how that's, because we were traveling together, I said, I don't know how that's going to work. I said, drop me off at a restaurant, whatever. I said, I'm just not going. But it was, it was, and it, without going into a lot of detail, it led to just incredible conversations after the fact about what it means to not look at a woman with lust and how to walk in righteousness. We had all of those conversations later in the airport. Um, but it was tough because I had to, in, the, in that situation, I, know, I knew I might I might really take it on the chin in my career because of what I'm standing for. Peter is not listing these examples here as metaphors. These aren't metaphors to kind of, these are literal examples of practices he's saying, avoid these things. They're still relevant today. Don't engage in this stuff that society says is really normative. Our way of thinking is different from others. We live out of different desires and motives for the rest of our lives. We live out of the motive, Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, he's worth all of my devotion, he's worth everything I have, and I will be maligned if I have to to stand for that. That, that provides a framework from which we live our lives in. So this, 
Now, this doesn't mean we don't have passions and desires that we live from. That's not what Peter's getting at here where he says, um, you know, we don't live for human passions. He's not saying you don't have passions. I remember, I've, I've heard this growing up in the church. Don't do what you want to do. Do what God wills you to do. You ever heard something along those lines? Like, don't do what you want to do. That's not what you worry about. Worry about what God wants you to do. But that would suggest that all of our desires are sinful and that somehow they have to be overridden by the Lord's will. And I don't, desires are good though. We're told to set our hope fully on the grace. That's a desire. Your hope set fully on the grace is, that will be led by your desire. I want my hope set fully on that. So we're not having no passions and no desires. It's not, that doesn't make sense. That's not what Peter's getting at. I think there's a third way to understand and live for the will of God in this that brings increased freedom from sin in our lives. One, one where our desires, they're changed, where our passions and desires are being conformed to the will of God. Our minds are being renewed and we're being transformed. There's something happening in us where God is, is taking it and he's renewing our minds and transforming desires. I think it's what when uh, Jesus says in John 15, he talks, he's talking to the disciples and he says that, um, he says, abide in me and let my words abide in you and you can ask for whatever you wish and, and it will be done for you. Well, what he's talking about is that our wills are aligning with the Father's. In fact, then the very next thing Jesus says, he says, by this, my Father's glorified. It's about, it's about getting our eyes on it. It's God's glory. Freedom from sin is in our lives. It's also about our witness. It's massively about our witness, actually. Verse 15 says, we are not to suffer as an evildoer. It's a, it's a term that Peter has used previously in, in chapter 2 where he says that when we're accused of being evildoers, he said it's your conduct that will speak the loudest. So our motivation is that others will see our witness and in turn, in turn, they will glorify God. What he's getting at is they will actually come to follow Jesus. He's saying when they see how you're living, that's going to speak to them so deep. They're going to say, I want that. Amen. It's all about witness. And so this is where living in reality is so necessary because there's a judgment coming. Peter says everyone's going to answer to God. Verse 17 to 19 later on here, and we'll, we'll have it on the screen, but you know where he says like, look, judgment is coming and first it's going to come to the household of God. And if those who are in the household of God are barely saved, but he's saying you're saved. Like he's not, he's not questioning whether you're saved. He's saying, listen, we're saved, but if judgment first begins with us, what is going to become of those outside of the house of God. And he's saying it's serious stuff. Peter's saying it's serious stuff, folks. Don't treat this lightly. There's serious stuff that's in our world that's happening, and it matters. People's eternal destinies are at stake. It matters where they're at. It matters how you live. It matters the witness that you have. So our witness, how we live, how we live for the will of God has everything to do with our freedom from sin and our witness to others around us. So there's freedom to get sin free from sin in our lives. 
and there's freedom to live to righteousness. First Peter 2.24, I already referenced it, where Peter says that Jesus suffered, he died for us, that we would die to sin, live to righteousness. And, and so our, our desire to die to sin is joined by a desire to live for righteousness or to righteousness. And one of the main areas that we do this is within the community of faith, the local church. And I want to I bring this out, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as to one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going we're to come back to verse 7 yet right at the end, but I, here we find direction in how we live to righteousness and how we support and how we care for one another. And these verses I find interesting. They're sandwiched sort of right between the rest of the chapter that speaks to persecution and speaks to suffering a lot. And the challenges of living committed to Jesus amidst a world that is, it's broken by the effects of sin. How do you do that? And it's tough. Like I said, Peter doesn't sugarcoat any of this. Living according to the ways of Jesus means that we will face suffering, we'll face hard things, and we're meant to be a support, an encouragement, we're meant to be an example to one another here. And so Peter, he starts with love. As I've mentioned this recently, but um, Jess and I, we've, we've started and been really impacted and encouraged by um, looking into and reading about the Enneagram, which helps us to understand how we see and how we react to the world. Core motivations that we operate from. And, and what the Enneagram will tell you is that there are basically at least nine different ways of seeing the world and within those nine different ways of seeing the world, there's lots of different shades. There's lots of different color shades, if you will. And so the Enneagram has helped me, and it's helping me to better understand myself, it's better understanding me, helping me to understand others. And what it reveals is that all of us, every single person has unhealthy ways of relating to the world. And, and within that, what we say, what we do, and the things that we do, they will annoy they will hurt, and they will objectify others. Welcome to church. That, that is all wrapped up in church. And depending on how you're wired, depending how you see things, you will react in very specific ways to different people. And so we all commit intentionally, unintentionally, a multitude of sins against one another. Do you know that? You commit a multitude of sins towards other people. Some of it, you, you are totally unaware that you're even doing it. Other times, we actually probably know and we're just like, well, whatever. But our freedom from sin is an ongoing battle. 
This is, again, which is why we arm ourselves. How we arm ourselves is so important. And, and the context here of the Greek is that above all this reality of what's happening, Peter says, love one another. Keep loving one another. It's, so it's not saying, he's not saying above all things. He's not saying above all is love. He's saying, because the highest ideal we have is that we glorify God. That's the highest ideal. He's not saying that in the, in the Greek. But he's saying above all that will disrupt our love for one another. So all the things that, that seek to disrupt your love for others, above all of our sin, above all of our responses to that, and all the things we are prone to how we react and how we, how, how that, how we rub, all that stuff, above all of that, keep loving one another earnestly, he says. So that, that and that word, it means authentically. It means love with authenticity authenticity, with the absence of superficiality, the absence of being fake. I think, and I think Colossians 3.12 to 14, it adds a lot of understanding in us for this. It says, bearing with one another means walking in forgiveness. It's, It's our love for one another. Paul says to the Colossians, he says, your love that binds you together in harmony with one another. And so as we walk out this commitment to love one another in our hospitality, because that's, that's right away Paul goes, or Peter goes to the hospitality, we, we need to consider how we can be intentional in being together, inviting others into our homes, and in serving one another. How do we do that? And we, and we see here some really, really encouraging things. Each one of us has been given gifts to serve one another. Every single person has been given gifts. No one, again, is excluded. We are representatives of God's grace to one another. Have you ever thought about that? That in your serving and in your hospitality, you are being a representative of God's grace to the other person or people. Serving one another is a means by which we honor actually what we have received from God. I've received this from God and I'm, because of that, what God has done, I want to serve you with that gift. And Peter gets, he says, our gifts are varied and yet they're equally important. They're, they're, there's a vast amount. So, this isn't the only way that we live to righteousness. Again, I think that Peter's got a very specific example here, but we live for righteousness in society. He's talked about that already in, in the letter. We live for righteousness in our marriages. He's talked about that. And we live to righteousness with one another in the church. He's moving on to that now. This is why, you know, treating the church as an event or an obligation or an appointment, all of that stuff, it's just so misguided for us according to Scripture. Completely misguided. We need one another as we navigate the struggles and challenges of life. You need the church. So, I believe that God is constantly connecting things. I believe that God is constantly bringing 
uh, things into our lives at particular times, timing particular things at particular times. I, we'll talk actually more about that in hearing God because that's a, a part of something that we touch on. But as I was working through this this week, um, Friday in particular actually, and, and then Jen sent me a text uh, with a link to a message uh, from Brooke Leiterwood from Hillsong. And uh, Jen was really impacted by it. And uh, she, had, she sent it to me just at the end of the day as I'd, I just was kind of in these verses. And, uh, and actually, I felt the Lord say to me, Paul, I want you to listen to this message before Sunday. So um, the message was all about the church, all about the need for it in our lives. It was, it's powerful. Uh, there's a lot to unpack and again, because I think that God brings certain things at certain times to us, and, and the timing of all this, I thought, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. Um, but, but a couple things that Brooke said, she said, what God is working in us, what he's doing in us, um, he's doing in us. So in that, we cannot grasp what God is doing in us until we have a fuller revelation of what he's doing in us. And, and she talks about just the the extent of, do we, we don't even understand the extent of how important the church is to what Jesus is doing in the world. And I think scripture completely backs her up in that. We, the church is so intrinsically important to what God wants to do. And so to walk out faith, she talked about how we, we have to stay meeting, we have to stay eating, we have to stay low and we've got to stay close. And she talked about a bilingual humility that we need to have in that we are never too proud to think that we have nothing to offer and we're never too proud to think that we walk in here and think that there's nothing for us to receive. I thought that was a really profound point. But in all of this and, and through all of this, we're, we're reminded to keep perspective. We're to be committed. We're to be focused for God's glory. Everything in our lives is regarded in light of Jesus. And so that leads me here to the thing that I want to conclude on. There is freedom to live from freedom from sin and to live to righteousness, and all of this freedom is for God's glory. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We, we saw it in verse 11 and we read again it here in verse 16, our, our lives are meant to reflect and point to the glory of God. Reminding ourselves of this amidst whatever's happening in our lives, 
that it helps us keep perspective. Like, regardless of what's happening, I'm living for the glory of God. And Jen and I, when we were, we were texting this week about the message, and I gave her a, a brief synopsis of sort of where I thought I was going to go, and, and then she came back to me a little bit later, and she said, and there's a lot in there about suffering. <laughs> and I was like, there is. Like, there's a lot in here about suffering. And, and, and the thought that occurred to me, I was thinking about, and I thought, how much do I really relate to what Peter is writing here? How much do we really honestly relate to this sort of suffering right now in Canada? And on one hand, I don't think it's very much, if I'm honest with myself. I think that this is hard for us to wrap our minds around, but we need to have a biblical understanding of suffering. And perhaps if we live for the glory of God with conviction, we will have a greater understanding of suffering. That's also very possible. There's a lot of questions here to, to work through. So there's this guy in Toronto where I think it maybe is hitting closer to home than we realize. David Lynn, he's a, a pastor in Toronto. And in June, uh, as is his custom, he goes around the city of Toronto to various uh, areas and he preaches the gospel on the streets. Not, not in an annoying, obtrusive sort of, you know, um, legalistic manner. He's, he's preaching the love of God from a heart that wants to see people saved. And from what I know of him, um, I, I'm really, I'm encouraged by him. He was sharing in a particular area of Toronto um, where uh, the LGBTQ um, sort of community is very much situated there. And all of a sudden, he was surrounded by a group on the street corner. He was being mocked, maligned, and then they started to assault him. And police saw it in full view. They refused to do anything about it. They refused to take any victim statements. He was arrested for disturbing the peace. And his case is now before the courts in Toronto. He, he just had a court date last week. And the judge is talking about now charging him with mischief, which is a more serious charge and could actually result in jail time. Why? Because he preached Jesus to people who need Jesus on a street corner in Canada. I don't know how far removed this is from us if we are willing to put ourselves out there for the Lord. I'm not saying that's what we all do. I think that David Lynn is being obedient to the Holy Spirit. You can pray for him. I, I, <laughs> that, that hit home for me. That, that hit home. Peter's focus here seems to be how we approach, how we handle and respond to suffering in our lives, specifically as it comes as a result to our commitment to Jesus. There, there was suffering. When, when you, you do a little bit of digging into who Peter was writing to, there was suffering happening in the churches where Peter's writing to. They were experiencing real suffering in pockets of the Roman Empire because of Jesus. And there was a cost for them. And Peter is reminding them, and we're being reminded, it's worth it. Remember what you have in Jesus. Remember that you have living hope, an inheritance beyond compare. Remember, you are God's people. 
And, and within these verses is a framework in which to live from. I, I would call it a means for us to live in the freedom of Jesus. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just for time, I'm going to cut it shorter. Um, but there's a framework from here in which to live from, to set our lives upon. And I think that it shapes our perspectives. I think it shapes our paradigms. I think it shapes the way that we think. I think it shapes the way that we talk, and it shapes the way that we live. And I think if you read these verses and you go, this sounds life-changing in nature. Like if you read 1 Peter 4 and you go, this sounds life-changing in nature, I would say, yes, exactly, good. This is life-changing. This is not something that you take and you tuck away and go, well, that sounds nice. This whole, the thrust of where Peter's going with the people in the church is, this changes how you live. This is not something that is, is nice doctrine and theology that you, you put up there and you reference and you quote. No, no. This is how do you live with people around you? How do you deal with really difficult circumstances when you suffer because you are standing up for the gospel? When people malign you and it hurts. And in the end, he's talking about our highest aim is glorifying God. So I want to I end this morning just quickly with verse 7. Um, we skipped over it before, but I, I, and I, on purpose, because I think it has great significance to encapsulate what we're talking about this morning. There's an underlying theme in these verses to live in reality. That Jesus' freedom calls you to live in reality. In our need to get free from sin. Be in reality about your need to get free from sin. Be in reality about your need to live to righteousness. And be in reality that this is all for God's glory. It's not for us. We reject those things in society that call us to invite us to be intoxicated, both literally and figuratively, to lose our restraint, to dull us to reality, to, to live for the pursuit of and the pleasures of this world. That's not the call for those who follow Christ, Peter's saying. We're to be self-controlled. He says you're to be sober-minded. We'll talk about that more because he talks about it again in chapter 5. But it calls us to see we live in times of great urgency. You live in, right now we are living in times that are very urgent. And I think that we may see down the road, we might see even more how urgent these days are. And there's a biblical perspective to this of be in reality. And living in this reality will call you to pray. So, because it's, he's saying, if you see what's happening, if you are in reality, you'll be called to prayer. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be self-controlled. Why? Because you need to pray. And so I don't, I don't actually, to end, I don't want to actually just talk about prayer. I actually want to end with prayer. Um, Jen, I'll, I'll get you to, to come up and you can, um, Jen will just lead and play a little bit, but I, I want to encourage you and invite you to get together with someone next to you this morning. We could talk about prayer. I could, I could, we could dig into the theological reasons why we should pray. And What if we just pray? 
Here's, here's what I think how we can pray out of this text. I encourage you to pray specifically in this, that God would empower you to live in freedom from sin, to live to righteousness in every area of your life, and to live committed for the glory of God above all things. Pray, pray in that way. God would empower you in those ways. Sound okay? Sound okay to to get together and to pray in that way? Let's do that. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are above all things, that you love your church, that you, the fullness of you fills all in all, that we are under your lordship or under your reign. And thank you that we have freedom because of you. And we want to walk in the freedom that you call us to. And so Jesus, as we pray together and as we seek your face, God, would you move? I pray that you'd move amongst us right now. I pray that you'd move in power. I pray that you would move in clarity amongst us. Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us and I pray again that you would fill us with living hope for today. Amen. So get together with another person and pray for the next couple minutes as we, as we end here.